Hello and welcome to A History of the United States, episode 15, The Thanksgiving Special, which has nothing to do with Thanksgiving. Remember that this is a listener-supported podcast. If you enjoyed the show and wish to support it, then please consider signing up for membership. You can do that by going to the website, thehistoryofpodcast.com, and then proceeding to click on the PayPal subscription button. Membership costs a mere $5 a month and gives you access to the membership feed. This means an exclusive episode every two weeks. I've just released episode 4, which introduces the second of the great conquering Aztec emperors, Moctezuma I. Sound fun? All you have to do is subscribe. Special thanks to our newest pioneers, listeners Nick and Martin. Thanks guys, I couldn't do this show without you. Now, small issue. Over the past few weeks, I've been timing all my episodes to release a Thanksgiving special on, well, Thanksgiving today. Happy Thanksgiving, by the way. We were going to finish telling the story of Virginia up to 1676, and then we could transition to talking about the Pilgrims and the Mayflower on Thanksgiving itself. It was perfect. Ever so perfect. Too perfect. Everything went wrong when I met General Bacon and his rebellion. Now, my original plan had been to cover all of Bacon's rebellion in one episode. I would have done this last week. But it was too interesting. And I got caught up in it, and now we're here. This has given me a few options on what I can do. Option one, I could have a much shortened version of the story, so I could wrap it all up in one episode, and release it a few days ago as intended, and then move on to Thanksgiving today. But that would really do disservice to what I found to be an incredibly interesting event. Plus, the guy's called Bacon. I know I'm supposed to be a professional about things, but I've honestly laughed every single time I read General Bacon when reading about this. I'm not going to skip over it. Option two. I could just carry on talking about General Bacon after Thanksgiving. But that would really mess up the whole narrative. It wouldn't flow. Going from 1676 to 1621, then back to 1676, only to go back to the 1610s a few weeks later. It would sound really stupid to listen to the whole thing that way round. So, I'm going with option three and abandoning my dream of the perfectly timed Thanksgiving special, since I think that's the best long-term decision. You can tune in on Thanksgiving for an episode all about Bacon's Rebellion instead. Because, can you ever really have enough bacon? Okay, now we've dealt with why this episode has nothing to do with Thanksgiving, we can get into the good stuff. Having covered the middle of the 17th century last time in an overview, today we turn to an event I can talk about in some detail. Bacon's Rebellion in 1676. It is one of the less well-known pieces of American history. I ran a poll on Twitter which said that 70% of you have never heard of Bacon's Rebellion, 
and those that did could only remember it being mentioned in school, but couldn't really recall the specifics any further. It is, though, pretty important. Bacon's Rebellion marks a turning point in our story, the point where England feels the need to really stamp its authority upon its American colonies. It marks a point where we can really begin to cover the colonial era. It was something between a version of the English Civil War playing out in Virginia and a dry run of the American Revolution, and is something I have really enjoyed researching, so we'll just get into it. As we brought Virginia into the 1670s last time out, we noted how miserable conditions were for the vast majority of people, and also that Governor Berkeley, who had by this point held the office of governor for some 25 years, was beginning to go out of touch. He hated the spread of education and printing, thinking that it bred troublemakers. This put him woefully out of touch with the new men of Virginia, the educated, cosmopolitan gentleman who often leans towards Parliament in the civil wars, something which earned them the ire of the fiercely royalist Berkeley. As much as Berkeley may dislike it, the world was changing, preparing to enter the Enlightenment. The youth of the day wanted such novel concepts as competent government, and when they travelled to the New World, they did not find it in Virginia. While Virginia was in severe economic depression, as we talked about last time, Berkeley had, frankly, ridiculously high tax rates. Tax was collected in the form of tobacco, and was assessed at half-market value, and then double the amount required was actually collected. This meant that the Virginian government was collecting four times as much as it said it needed. And this was a poll tax. A poll tax is a tax in which the same amount is collected from every person. This meant that the poorest had to hand over half their crop, which they were struggling to grow due to bad weather and worn-out soil, struggling to get across the Atlantic because of the war with the Dutch, and struggling to sell because of the Navigation Acts, and dropping rates due to the increased volume of tobacco on the market. The Virginians were livid. To compound this, it wasn't clear what exactly the Virginian government was doing with the money. It said it was for defence. They were, after all, at war with the Dutch. They would construct sea forts along the coast, except all they did were build a couple out of mud, and then there were issues with the natives. As Virginia expanded, the English came into contact with more and more Native Americans, the most important of which were the Iroquois. These were much more warlike than the comparatively peaceful Powhatans had been. When King Philip's War broke out in New England in 1675, trouble made its way down into Virginia, and attacks began on the frontier settlements. The frontiersmen were outraged, and wanted to kill every, uh, savage that they could find. Berkeley would not allow this. He wouldn't consent to open war on all Native Americans. He had diplomatic treaties, and trade to think about, none of which was the concern of the people being killed. 
All they knew was that they were being attacked and they weren't allowed to attack back. Berkeley told them to expand into enemy land by creating plantations. This was how Berkeley had won the war in the 1640s, and he saw no reason why it wouldn't work again. There were, of course, many reasons why the same tactic would be completely useless 30 years on. The most important of which was that they were no longer dealing with the Powhatans, a comparatively peaceful group of Algonquin Native Americans. When dealing with mostly settled farmers, expanding the plantation network worked pretty well. But building a plantation in the land of raiders is just going to get raided. Plus, there would need to be taxes to fund this new project, since the rates being four times higher than they should have been didn't seem able to fund the defence it should have been doing. Berkeley wouldn't even allow the accounts to be made public when it was questioned just where the money was going. Virginia was a powder keg, just waiting for a match to set the whole country alight. It would come in the form of one Nathaniel Bacon. Nathaniel Bacon was born to a upper-class family in East Anglia in 1647, in the middle of the English Civil Wars. Following the restoration of Charles II, Bacon moved with his father to Cambridge, where he studied for a few years and gained a reputation as a bright but inattentive young man. He went on a tour of Europe with his teacher, the scientist and linguist John Ray, but he was recalled by his father to Cambridge, and he completed his master's degree before reading law at Gray's Inn, London. He then courted and married Elizabeth Duke, daughter of Sir Edward Duke, in 1670. Bacon was not one to settle down. He was still excited by travel and had a less dignified side of him. Sir Edward was fiercely opposed to him and disowned his daughter because of the marriage. Bacon became something of a con artist and was exiled to Virginia in 1674, where he travelled along with his bride, age 27. He stayed with his cousin and namesake, Nathaniel Bacon, who set him up with some land, and Bacon moved to the frontier. He quickly rose up the ranks in the colony, and in March 1675, Berkeley named him to the council, even though he didn't take much interest in proceedings and rarely showed up. When trouble really began with the Native Americans, Bacon was not happy with Berkeley's timid response. If he wouldn't help them, then they would just have to help themselves, and an army was set up. This was, to Berkeley, treason. He knew that Virginia needed trade with the Native Americans, and that attacking tribes which had nothing to do with the attack would only make things worse. This reeked of cowardice to the frontiersmen, who rallied behind Bacon. This was civil war. Bacon was declared a public enemy, and his army was ordered to disband in May 1676. The men of property did so. They weren't going to disobey a command from the governor, but many stuck with Bacon, who was then elected a Burgess in the assembly. Bacon went to take his seat and sailed with plenty of bodyguards up the James, intending to go to Jamestown, but they were fired at by the cannon and he landed at the house of one of his allies, 
Richard Lawrence, arriving very late. The next morning, June 7th, 1676, he managed to flee the Berkelian forces by water, but he was very quickly surrounded by the firepower of the tobacco fleet. A shot was fired, forcing Bacon to stop. It was realised that they were stuck, and Bacon surrendered that afternoon. Three days later, on June 10th, the General Assembly gathered, and was surprised to learn that once Bacon confessed to being a rebel, Berkeley pardoned him, and restored Bacon to his seat on the council. This was very generous. Too generous. You see, Berkeley was well aware that Bacon's army had not disbanded, and was, at that moment, surrounding Jamestown. If he punished Bacon, he would pay, and so Bacon was to be forgiven, for just long enough for his army to disperse. Once it did, Berkeley ordered his arrest the very next night, and before dawn the next day, he raided Lawrence's house to seize Bacon. But Bacon had gotten wind of what was about to happen and fled. Virginia was about to be engulfed by civil war. Berkeley set about defending the capital, but he had limited force at his disposal. On the morning of Friday, June 23rd, it was announced that Bacon was in two miles of Jamestown. Berkeley could do nothing to stop the attackers. At 2pm, Bacon's 400 infantry and 120 cavalry entered Jamestown, garrisoned it, and within half an hour ordered the assembly to gather. Bacon asked for a commission as general to attack the Native Americans. Berkeley was outraged. He ordered Bacon to shoot him. Bacon refused. He wanted single combat to decide things. Bacon refused. This was quite a desperate gamble from Berkeley, since Bacon was 29 and he was 70. Bacon said he only wanted to attack the Native Americans. He would not harm Berkeley. So, Berkeley left, and then Bacon threatened to shoot the men of the General Assembly unless they voted him his commission, which they did, which is how Nathaniel Bacon became General Bacon. This reminded many of Cromwell, leading people to call him Oliver Bacon to his face. That's enough for this week, and what has been a very uh, seasonal episode. Yes, that's the word. We'll carry on dealing with events next week. If you've enjoyed today's episode, you can find more online. The website is thehistoryofpodcast.com. That's the place to sign up for membership if you are so inclined. You can send me an email if you have any questions, comments, or concerns. My email address being thehistoryofpodcast at gmail.com. You can like the show's Facebook page, facebook.com forward slash thehistoryofpodcast. And you can follow me on Twitter at HistoryJamie. I'll see you next week. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 